Hello, and welcome to Lifetimes of Learning, a production at the Buddhist Discussion Centre Australia. In this podcast series, we will be discussing the teachings and principles of Buddha Dharma, which is just as relevant today as they were 2,600 years ago. Whether you are on the meditation cushion or on your way to work, we invite you to bring your mind inside and listen to the teachings of the Buddha. In the afternoon on day four, we listened to a Dharma talk by Bhante Vimalaramsi where he read and provided a commentary on the Mahatanha Sankhaya Sutta from Mahima Nikaya 38. We will now read a translation of this sutta by Tanisaro Bhikkhu from the website www.access to insight.org spelled A-C-C-E-S-S-T-O-I-N-S-I-G-H-T dot org Mahatanha Sankhaya Sutta I have heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying in Savati at Jeddah's Grove Anatta Pindika's Park now on the occasion, this pernicious viewpoint, Dithigata, had arisen in the monk Sati, the fisherman's son. As I understand the Dharma taught by the Blessed One, it is just this consciousness that runs and wanders on from birth to birth, not another. A large number of monks heard. They say that, this pernicious viewpoint has arisen in the monk, Sati, the fisherman's son. As I understand the Dharma taught by the Blessed One, it is just this consciousness that runs and wanders on from birth to birth, not another. So they went to the monk, Sati, the fisherman's son, and on arrival said to him, Is it true, friend, Sati, that this pernicious viewpoint has arisen in you? As I understand the Dharma taught by the Blessed One, it is just this consciousness that runs and wanders on, not another. Exactly so, friends. I understand the Dharma taught by the Blessed One, such that it is just this consciousness that runs and wanders on, not another. Then those monks, desiring to pray the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, away from that pernicious viewpoint, Quizzed him back and forth, and we bugged him, saying, Don't say that, friend Sati. Don't slander the Blessed One, for it is not good to slander the Blessed One. The Blessed One would not say anything like that. In many ways, friend, the Blessed One has said of dependently co-arisen consciousness, apart from a requisite condition, there is no coming into play of consciousness, and yet, even though he was quizzed back and forth and rebuked by those monks, the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, through stubbornness and attachment to that very same pernicious viewpoint, continued to insist. Exactly so, friends. I understand the Dharma taught by the Blessed One, such that it is just this consciousness that runs and wanders on, not another. So when the monks were unable to pray the monk 
Sati, the fisherman's son, away from that pernicious viewpoint, they went to the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As they were sitting there, they told him what happened. So the Blessed One told a certain monk, "Come, monk, in my name, call the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, saying, 'The teacher calls you, friend Sati.'" As you say, Lord, the monk answered, and having gone to the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, on arrival he said, "The teacher calls you, friend Sati." As you say, friend, the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, replied. Then he went to the blessed one, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, the blessed one said to him. Is it true, Sati, that this pernicious view has arisen in you? As I understand the Dharma taught by the Blessed One, is it just this consciousness that runs and wanders on, not another? Exactly so, Lord. As I understand the Dharma taught by the Blessed One, it is just this consciousness that runs and wanders on, not another. Which consciousness, Sati, is that? This speaker, this knower, Lord, that is sensitive here and there to the ripening of good and evil actions. And to whom, worthless man, do you understand me to have taught the Dharma like that? Haven't I, in many ways, said of dependently, co-arisen consciousness? Apart from a requisite condition, there is no coming into play of consciousness. But you, through your own poor grasp, not only slander us, but also dig yourself up by the root and produce much demerit for yourself. That will lead to your long-term harm and suffering. Then the Blessed One said to the monks, "What do you think, monks? Is this monk Sati, the fish fisherman's son, even warmed in this Dharma and Vinaya?" How could he be, Lord? No, Lord. When this was said, the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, sat silent, abashed, his shoulders drooping, his head down, brooding, at a loss for words. Then the blessed one, seeing that the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, was sitting silent, abashed, his shoulders drooping, his head down, brooding. At a loss for words, said to him, "Worthless man, you will be recognized for your own pernicious viewpoint. I will cross-question the monks on this matter." Then the blessed one addressed the monks, "Monks, do you too understand the Dharma as taught by me in the same way that the monk Sati, the fisherman's son, does when through his own poor grasp of the Dharma?" He not only slanders us, but also digs himself up by the root and produces much demerit for himself. No, Lord, for in many ways the Blessed One has said of dependently co-arisen consciousness. Apart from a requisite condition, there is no coming into play of consciousness. It's good, monks, that you understand the Dharma taught by me in this way. 
For in many ways, I have said of dependently co-arisen consciousness, apart from a requisite condition, there is no coming into play of consciousness. But this monk Sati, the fisherman's son, through his own poor grasp of the Dharma, has not only slandered us, but has also dug himself up by the root, producing much demerit for himself. That will lead to this worthless man's long-term harm and suffering. Consciousness classified by requisite condition. Consciousness, monks, is classified simply by the requisite condition, independence on which it arises. Consciousness that arises in dependence on I and forms is classified simply as I consciousness. Consciousness that arises in dependence on ear and sounds is classified simply as ear consciousness. Consciousness that arises in dependence on the nose and aromas is classified simply as nose consciousness. Consciousness that arises in dependence on the tongue and flavors is classified simply as tongue consciousness. Consciousness that arises in dependence on the body and tactile sensations is classified simply as body consciousness. Consciousness that arises in dependence on the intellect and ideas is classified simply as intellect consciousness. Just as fire is classified simply by whatever requisite condition independence on which it burns, a fire that burns independence on wood is classified simply as a wood fire. A fire that burns independence on wood chips is classified simply as a wood chip fire. A fire that burns independence on grass is classified simply as a grass fire. A fire that burns independence on cow dung is classified simply as a cow dung fire. A fire that burns independence on chaff is classified simply as a chaff fire. A fire that burns independence on rubbish is classified simply as a rubbish fire. In the same way, consciousness is classified simply by the requisite condition independence on which it arises. Consciousness that arises independence on I and forms is classified simply as I consciousness. Consciousness that arises independence on the ear and sounds is classified simply as ear consciousness. Consciousness that arises independence on the nose and aromas is classified simply as nose consciousness. Consciousness that arises independence on the tongue and flavors is classified simply as tongue consciousness. Consciousness that arises independence on the body and tactile sensation is classified simply as body consciousness. Consciousness that arises independence on the intellect and ideas is classified simply as intellect consciousness. On becoming. Monks, do you see this has come to be? Yes, Lord. Monks, do you see it comes into play from that nutriment? Yes, Lord. Monks, do you see from the cessation of that nutrient which has come to be is subject to cessation? Yes, Lord. From the doubt, has this come to be, does uncertainty arise? Yes, Lord. From the doubt, does it come into play from the nutrient, 
does uncertainty arise? Yes, Lord. From the doubt, from the cessation of that nutrient, is what has come to be subject to cessation. Does uncertainty arise? Yes, Lord. Monks, for one who sees with right discernment, as it has come to be, that this has come to be, is that uncertainty abandoned? Yes, Lord. For one who sees with right discernment, as it has come to be, that it comes into play from that nutrient, is that uncertainty abandoned? Yes, Lord. For one who sees with right discernment, as it has come to be, that from the cessation of that nutrient, what has come to be is subject to cessation. Is that uncertainty abandoned? Yes, Lord. Monks, are you thus free from uncertainty here that this has come to be? Yes, Lord. Are you thus free from uncertainty here that it comes into play from that nutriment? Yes, Lord. Are you thus free from uncertainty here that from the cessation of that nutriment, what has come to be is subject to cessation? Yes, Lord. Monks, is it well seen by you that this has come to be? Yes, Lord. Is it well seen by you that it comes into play from that nutriment? Yes, Lord. Is it well seen by you that from the cessation of that nutriment, what has come to be is subject to cessation? Yes, Lord. Monks, if you were to adhere to this point of view, so pure, so bright, if you were to cherish it, treasure it, regard it as mine, would you understand the Dharma taught as analogous to a raft for crossing river, not for holding onto? No, Lord. If you were not to adhere to this view, so pure, so bright, if you were to not cherish it, not to treasure it, not to regard it as mine, would you understand the Dharma taught as analogous to a raft for crossing over, not for holding on to? Yes, Lord. Nutriment and dependent co-arising. Monks, there are these four nutriments for the maintenance of beings who have come into being or for the support of those in search of a place to be born. Which for? Physical food, gross or refined. Contact as the second. Intellectual intention, the third. And consciousness, the fourth. Now, these four nutriments have what as their cause, what as their origination, through what are they born, through what are they brought into being. These four nutriments have craving as their cause, craving as their origination, are born from craving, are brought into being from craving. And this craving has what as its cause, what as its origination, through what is it born, through what is it brought into being. Craving has feeling as its cause, is brought into being through feeling. And this feeling has what as its cause? Through what is it brought into being? Feeling has contact 
as its cause. And this contact has what as its cause? Through what is it brought into being? Contact has the sixth sense media as its cause. And this sixth sense media have what as their cause? Through what are they brought into being? The sixth sense media have name and form as their cause. And this name and form has what as its cause? Through what is it brought into being? Name and form has consciousness as its cause. And this consciousness has what as its cause? Through what is it brought into being? Consciousness has fabrications as its cause. And these fabrications have what as their cause? Through what are they brought into being? Fabrications have ignorance as their cause. Ignorance as their origination, are born from ignorance, are brought into being from ignorance. The arising of stress and suffering, thus, from ignorance as a requisite condition, come fabrications. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. From name and form as a requisite condition comes the six sense media. From the six sense media as a requisite condition comes contact. From contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and sustenance. From clinging and sustenance as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition, then aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, despair come into play. Such is the origination of this entire mass of stress and suffering. From birth, as a requisite condition, comes aging and death. Thus was it said, now, monks, is it the case that from birth, as a requisite condition, comes aging and death, or not? Or how is it here? Lord, from birth, as a requisite condition, comes aging and death. That's how it is for us here. From birth as a requisite condition comes aging and death. Similarly, with the remaining requisite conditions down to from ignorance as a requisite condition from fabrications, thus was it said, Now, monks, is it the case that from ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrication or not? Or how is it here? Lord, from ignorance as a requisite condition come fabrications. That's how it is for us here. From ignorance as a requisite condition come fabrications. It's good, monks, that you say that, and I say that too. When this is, that is, from the arising of this comes and the rising of that, in other words, from ignorance as a requisite condition come fabrications. 
From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. From name and form as a requisite condition comes the six sense media. From the six sense media as a requisite condition comes contact. From contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and sustenance. From clinging and sustenance as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition, then age and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair come into play. Such is the origination of this entire mass of stress and suffering. The cessation of stress and suffering. Now, from the remainderless fading and cessation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. From the cessation of fabrication comes the cessation of consciousness. From the cessation of consciousness comes the cessation of name and form. From the cessation of name and form comes the cessation of the six sense media. From the cessation of the six sense media comes the cessation of contact. From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of feeling. From the cessation of feeling comes the cessation of craving. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of clinging and sustenance. From the cessation of clinging and sustenance comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of birth. From the cessation of birth, then aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair all cease. Such is the cessation of this entire mass of stress and suffering. From the cessation of birth comes the cessation of aging and death. Thus was it said. Now, monks, is it the case that from cessation of birth comes the cessation of aging and death, or not? Or how is it here, Lord? From the cessation of birth. Comes the cessation of aging and death. That's how it is for us here. From the cessation of birth comes the cessation of aging and death. Similarly, with the remaining requisite conditions down to, from the cessation of ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. Thus was it said. Now, monks, is it the case that from cessation of ignorance? Comes the cessation of fabrications or not, or how is it here, Lord? From the cessation of ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. That's how it is for us here. From the cessation of ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. It's good, monks, that you say that, and I say that too. When this isn't, that isn't. From the cessation of this comes the cessation of that. In other words, from the cessation of ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. From the cessation of fabrications comes the cessation of consciousness. From the cessation of consciousness comes the cessation of name and form. From the cessation of name and form 
comes the cessation of the sixth sense media. From the cessation of the sixth sense media comes the cessation of contact. From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of feeling. From the cessation of feeling comes the cessation of craving. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of clinging and sustenance. From the cessation of clinging and sustenance comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of birth. From the cessation of birth, then aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress and despair all cease. Such is the cessation of this entire mass of stress and suffering. Inappropriate questions avoided. Now, monks, knowing thus and seeing thus, would you run after the past, thinking, "Were we in the past? Were we not in the past? What were we in the past? How were we in the past? Having been what? What were we in the past?" No, Lord. Knowing thus and seeing thus, would you run after the future, thinking, "Shall we be in the future? Shall we not be in the future? What shall we be in the future? How shall we be in the future? Having been what? What shall we be in the future? No, Lord. Knowing thus and seeing thus, would you be inwardly perplexed about the immediate present? Thinking, am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where is it bound? No, Lord. Knowing thus and seeing thus, would you say, the teacher is our respected mentor? We speak thus out of respect for the teacher. No, Lord. Knowing thus and seeing thus, would you say? The contemplative says this. We speak thus in line with the contemplative's words. No, Lord. Knowing thus and seeing thus, would you dedicate yourselves to another teacher? No, Lord. Knowing thus and seeing thus, would you return to the observances, grand ceremonies, and auspicious rites of common contemplatives and Brahmins as having any essence? No, Lord. Is it the case that you speak simply in line with what you have known, seen, and understood for yourselves? Yes, Lord. Good monks, you have been guided by me in this Dharma, which is to be seen here and now, timeless, inviting verification, pertinent, to be realized by the observant for themselves, for it has been said. This Dharma is to be seen here and now, timeless, inviting verification, pertinent, to be by the observant for themselves, and it was in reference to this that it was said: the birth and growth of a being. Monks, the descent of the embryo occurs with the union of three things. There is the case where there is no union of the mother and father. The mother is not in her season. Nagandhava is not present. 
nor is there a descent of an embryo. There is the case where there is a union of the mother and father. The mother is in her season, but a gandhaba is not present, nor is there a descent of an embryo. But when there is a union of the mother and father, the mother is in her season, and the gandhaba is present. Then, with this union of three things, the descent of the embryo occurs. Then, for nine or ten months, the mother shelters the embryo in her womb with great anxiety, as a heavy burden. Then, at the end of nine or ten months, she gives birth with great anxiety, as a heavy burden. Then, when the child is born, she feeds it with her own blood. For mother's milk is called blood in the discipline of the noble ones. Then, as the child grows and his faculties mature, he plays at children's games, toy plows, stick games, somersaults, toy windmills, toy measures, toy carts, and a toy bow and arrow. As he grows and his faculties mature, still further. He enjoys himself, provided, endowed with the five strings of sensuality. Forms cognizable by the eye, agreeable, pleasing, charming, endearing, enticing, accompanied with sensual desire. Sounds cognizable by the ear, aromas cognizable by the nose, flavors cognizable by the tongue. Tactile sensations cognizable via the body, agreeable, pleasing, charming, endearing, enticing, accompanied with sensual desire. Limited awareness. On seeing a form with the eye, he is infatuated with pleasing forms and gets upset over unpleasing forms. He dwells with body mindfulness unestablished, with limited awareness. He doesn't discern, as it has come to be, the awareness release and discernment release, where those evil, unskillful qualities cease without remainder. Engaged thus in compliance and opposition, he relishes any feeling he feels, pleasure, pain. Neither pleasure nor pain welcomes it, remains fastened to it, as he relishes that feeling, welcomes it, and remains fastened to it. Delight arises. Now, any delight in feeling is cleaning, sustenance. From his cleaning and sustenance, as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming, as a requisite condition. Comes birth. From birth, as a requisite condition, then aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair come into play. Such is the origination of this entire mass of stress and suffering. On hearing a sound with the ear, on smelling an aroma with the nose, on tasting a flavor with the tongue. On sensing a tactile sensation with the body, 
on cognizing an idea with the intellect. He is infatuated with pleasing ideas and gets upset over unpleasing ideas. He dwells with body mindfulness unestablished, with limited awareness. He doesn't discern, as it has come to be, the awareness release, discernment release, where those evil, unskillful qualities cease without reminder. Engaged thus in compliance and opposition, he relishes any feeling he feels, pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, welcomes it, remains fastened to it, as he relishes that feeling, welcomes it, remains fastened to it, delight arises. Now, any delight in feeling is cleaning, sustenance. From his cleaning sustenance. As a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition, then aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair come into play. Such is the origination of this entire mass of stress and suffering. The path to unlimited awareness. Now, there is the case where a Tathagata appears in the world, worthy and rightly self-awakened. He teaches the Dharma admirable in its beginning, admirable in its middle, admirable in its end. He proclaims the holy life both in its particulars and in its essence, entirely perfect, surpassingly pure. He, the person discussed above, hearing the Dharma, gains conviction in the Tathagata, and reflects: household life is confining, a dusty path. Life gone forth is the open air. It isn't easy, living at home to practice the holy life totally perfect, totally pure, a polished shell. What if I? Having shaved off my hair and beard, and putting on the awkward robe, were to go forth from the household life into homelessness. So after some time, he abandons his mass of wealth, large or small, leaves his circle of relatives, large or small, shaves off his hair and beard, puts on the awkward robes, and goes forth from the household life into homelessness. Virtue. When he has thus gone forth, endowed with the monk's training and livelihood, then abandoning the taking of life, he abstains from the taking of life. He dwells with his rod laid down, his knife laid down, scrupulous, merciful, compassionate for the welfare of all living beings. Abandoning the taking of what is not given, he abstains from taking what is not given. He takes only what is given, accepts only what is given, lives not by stealth, but by means of a self that has become pure. This too is part of his virtue. Abandoning unsolicity, he lives a celibate life, aloof. Refraining from the sexual act—that is the village's way.
abandoning false speech. He abstains from false speech. He speaks the truth, holds to the truth, is firm, reliable, no deceiver of the world. Abandoning divisive speech, he abstains from divisive speech. What he has heard here, he does not tell there to break those people apart from these people here. What he has heard there, he does not tell here to break these people apart from those people there. Thus, reconciling those who have broken apart, or cementing those who are united, he loves concord, delights in concord, enjoys concord, speaks things that create concord. Abandoning abusive speech, he abstains from abusive speech. He speaks words that are soothing to the ear, that are affectionate, that goes to the heart, that are polite. Appealing and pleasing to people at large, abandoning idle chatter, he abstains from idle chatter. He speaks in season, speaks what is factual, what is in accordance with the goal, the Dharma, and the Vinaya. He speaks words worth treasuring, seasonable, reasonable, circumscribed, connected with the goal. He abstains from damaging seed and plant life. He eats only once a day, refraining from the evening meal and from food at the wrong time of the day. He abstains from dancing, singing, instrumental music, and from watching shows. He abstains from wearing garlands and from beautifying himself with scents and cosmetics. He abstains from high and luxurious beds and seats. He abstains from accepting gold and money. He abstains from accepting uncooked grain, raw meat, women and girls, male and female slaves, goats and sheep, fowl and pigs, elephants, cattle, steeds and mares, fields and property. He abstains from running messages, from buying and selling. From dealing with false scales, false metals, and false measures, from bribery, deception, and fraud, he abstains from mutilating, executing, imprisoning, highway robbery, plunder, and violence. He is content with a set of ropes to provide for his body, and alms food to provide for his hunger, just as a bird, wherever it goes. Flies with its wings as its only burden. So too is he content with a set of ropes to provide for his body and alms food to provide for his hunger. Wherever he goes, he takes only his barest necessities along. Endowed with this noble aggregate of virtue, he is inwardly sensitive to the pleasure of being blameless. Sense restraint. On seeing a form with the eye, he doesn't grasp at any theme or details by which, if he were to dwell without restraint over the faculty of the eye, evil, unskillful qualities such as greed or distress might assail him. On hearing a sound with the ear, on smelling an aroma with the nose, on tasting a flavor with the tongue, on touching a tactile sensation with the body. On cognizing an idea with the intellect, 
he doesn't grasp at any theme or detail by which, if he were to dwell without restraint, over the faculty of the intellect, evil and skilful qualities such as greed or distress might assail him. Endowed with this noble restraint over the sense faculties, he is inwardly sensitive to the pleasure of being blameless. Mindfulness and alertness. When going forward and returning, he makes himself alert. When looking towards and looking away, when bending and extending his limbs, when carrying his outer cloak, his upper robe, and his bowl, when eating, drinking, chewing, and tasting, when urinating and defecating, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up. Talking and remaining silent, he makes himself alert, abandoning the hindrances. Endowed with the noble aggregates of virtue, this noble restraint over the sense faculties, this noble mindfulness and alertness, he seeks out a secluded dwelling, a wilderness, the shade of a tree, a mountain, a glen, a hillside cave, a channel ground. A forest grove, the open air, a heap of straw. After his meal, returning from his arms round, he sits down, crosses legs, holds his body erect, and brings mindfulness to the fore. Abandoning covetousness with regard to the well, he dwells with an awareness devoid of covetousness. He cleanses his mind of covetousness, abandoning. Ill will and anger, he dwells with an awareness devoid of ill will, sympathetic with the welfare of all living beings. He cleanses his mind of ill will and anger, abandoning sloth and drowsiness. He dwells with an awareness devoid of sloth and drowsiness, mindful, alert, percipient of light. He cleanses his mind of sloth and drowsiness, abandoning restlessness. And anxiety, he dwells undisturbed, his mind inwardly stilled. He cleanses his mind of restlessness and anxiety, abandoning uncertainty. He dwells having crossed over uncertainty, with no perplexity with regard to skillful mental qualities. He cleanses his mind of uncertainty. The four jhanas, having abandoned these five hindrances. Imperfections of awareness that weaken discernment, then, quite secluded from sensuality, secluded from unskillful qualities, he enters and remains in the first jhana, rapture and pleasure born of seclusion, accompanied by directed thoughts and evaluation. With the stilling of directed thoughts and evaluations, he enters and remains in the second jhana. Rapture and pleasure born of concentration, unification of awareness, free from directed thought and evaluation, internal assurance. With the fading of rapture, he remains equanimous, mindful and alert, and senses pleasures with the body. He enters and remains in the third jhana, of which the noble ones declare, equanimous and mindful, he has a pleasant abiding. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain, 
As with the earlier disappearance of joy and distress, he enters and remains in the fourth jhana, purity of equanimity and mindfulness, neither pleasure nor pain. Unlimited awareness. On seeing a form with the eye, he isn't infatuated with pleasing forms, and doesn't get upset over unpleasing forms. He dwells with body mindfulness established, with unlimited awareness. He discerns, as it has come to be, the awareness release and discernment release where those evil, unskillful qualities cease without remainder. Having thus abandoned compliance and opposition, he doesn't relish any feelings he feels. Pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, doesn't welcome it, doesn't remain fastened to it. As he doesn't relish that feeling, doesn't welcome it, and doesn't remain fastened to it, delight doesn't arise. From the cessation of his delight comes the cessation of cleaning. Sustenance. From the cessation of cleaning and sustenance, comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming, comes the cessation of birth. From the cessation of birth, then the aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair all cease. Such is the cessation of this entire mass of stress. And suffering. On hearing a sound with the ear, on smelling an aroma with the nose, on tasting a flavor with the tongue, on sensing a tactile sensation with the body, on recognizing an idea with the intellect, he isn't infatuated with pleasing ideas, and doesn't get upset over unpleasing ideas. He dwells with body mindfulness established. With unlimited awareness, he discerns, as it comes to be, the awareness release and discernment release, where those evil, unskillful qualities cease without remainder. Having abandoned compliance and opposition, he doesn't relish in the feeling he feels. Pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, doesn't welcome it. And doesn't remain fastened to it. Delight doesn't arise. From the cessation of his delight comes the cessation of cleaning and sustenance. From the cessation of cleaning and sustenance comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of birth. From the cessation of birth, then the aging, death, sorrow, lamentation. Pain, distress, despair, or cease. Such is the cessation of this entire mass and of stress and suffering. Monks, remember this: my brief account of release through the destruction of craving. And Sati, the fisherman's son, as tied up in the great net of craving, the great tangle of craving. This is what the blessed one said, gratified. The monks delighted in the blessed one's words. Sadu, sadu, sadu. This concludes the reading 
of the Mahatanha Sankhya Sutta. May you realize dependent origination as expounded by the Buddha in the Mahatanha Sankhya Sutta. May you cultivate right understanding. May you be well and happy. Please tune in、um, to our next podcast series when we will share part five of the teachings we received during our recent Christmas Bhavana retreat. Today's script was compiled by Anita Carter, Frank Carter, and Claire Ransom from teachings we received from Venerable Bhante Vimala Ramsey and Venerable Sister Kanti Kima. Thank you. For listening to our lifetimes of learning podcast, to listen to our other recordings, please go to our website www.bdcu.org.au and click on Dharma Teachings, or you can go to our online World Buddhist Radio station from our website by clicking on Buddhist Radio. May you be well and happy. May all beings be well and happy.